You're listening to the Good Samaritan Anglican Church Podcast. The following sermon was recorded by the Rev. Carrie Klukas on August 25th, 2019. A reading from the Letter to the Hebrews. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire, and darkness, and gloom, and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet, and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If a beast even touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord Jesus, we ask you to come and be among us, to show us your unshakable presence, to show us your help, your safety, and your guidance in our lives. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This past Thursday, a magnitude 5.0 earthquake hit the Ridgecrest area, and they were the latest aftershocks from a magnitude 6.4 and 7.1 tremors that hit in July out in California. Thursday's earthquake, it occurred 43 miles from California City, 68 miles from Bakersfield, and in the last 10 days, there have been 17 earthquakes of a magnitude of 3.0 or greater that are centered there nearby. There have been numerous aftershocks from July 4th and 5th quakes, and the largest in Southern California in nearly two decades. An average of five earthquakes with a magnitude of 5.0 to 6.0 occur every year in California and Nevada. Thursday's earthquake actually um, occurred into a depth of 1.5 miles into the earth. We know and we have scientific data that earthquakes will occur in California. 
We know from past experiences that we cannot tell when they will happen. We um, cannot know how severe they'll be. We cannot warn people that they're on the way. We cannot know the depth of damage that they'll cause. We cannot know the death toll that will incur due to the damage to buildings or to roads or to houses. Earthquakes happen, and like all other natural disasters, they do not make sense. We have not yet been able to create earthquake-proof buildings or cars or streets or houses. Sure, there's some definite advances that we have made and measures that we can try to take to be able to produce safer buildings. However, when an earthquake comes, the very foundation of the earth is shaken and we cannot proof the ground that we walk on. We cannot bubble wrap ourselves or our loved ones as much as I would love to bubble wrap everybody or our houses or our cars or our places of work. Earthquakes are assured and they are a guaranteed part of living in California. You can plan for them to some extent and then you just live your life waiting for them to happen. Many things in the Christian life are actually like earthquakes. Things we do not plan for. Sickness. Job loss. Miscarriages. A broken marriage. Cancer. Or a myriad of other situations are things that we do not plan for. No one longs for suffering. And these things can seem to shake us to the very core of ourselves, to undo our identity, and to cause us to feel totally unmoored. And many of the aspects of our life can be thought of as really shakable things. Just think back to a situation in your own life in which everything seemed to change. Did you feel scared, unsure of the future, or fearful of what might come next? The epistle reading today from Hebrews, it speaks of the things that are unshakable, that are shakable versus the things that are unshakable. And this passage opens up imploring us to help one another experience the grace of God through not being bitter towards one another. When we interact with one another, it can be very easy to offend one another or to miscommunicate. So much of the human experience is about having your feelings inside of yourself and projecting them out or at least seeing through those feelings into the world around you. And when we have feelings of shame or anger or distrust or even hopelessness, it's easy to assume that there are others who see this or who are speaking at or against the things that we're struggling with. The real truth, though, is that most people are far more hurt and carrying around far heavier burdens than you could ever imagine or know. They're usually lost in their own pain and suffering, and when they come out with you with conflict and disagreements, it's usually just them inside of their cells. 
And God longs for us to not let the root of bitterness to build up in our lives as Christians. When someone holds a different opinion than you, or they live their life in a way that's different than you, they're not judging you. Typically, when we bump up against each other and we see differences, we feel as if someone else might be judging us when we are actually judging ourselves. Perhaps we sense that there's something that's not quite right in our own lives, or maybe there's choices that we're making that are not quite good. There's simply a difference between ourselves and them. And when we allow this perceived notion of judgment to wedge itself in between, um, between us, then we miss out with an encounter with another person that's made in God's image. Perhaps God is calling us to change something in our life. Perhaps God is having us face some other different part of ourselves we don't want to see. Living in a household with eight people means that we have an ample opportunity to step on each other's toes, to speak unkind words, to offend each other. And despite the horrible optics that there are for a great opportunity for miscommunication, God actually means that place to be an opportunity for grace and for kindness. God brings people into our lives that we're supposed to bump up against to grow and change us. And the church really isn't all that different than a family, is it? Um, we should be a people who seek to treat one another with grace and with kindness, especially when we hurt each other or when we offend each other. Simply go to the person who has offended you and just make a statement. We work really hard on this in our house. We're working really hard on this right now. Having a calm face. <laughs> Our kids are going to crack up. Having a calm face, a calm voice, and a calm body when you talk to someone. And you want to say to them, I was hurt or offended, or I felt judged when you said this about me. This gives the person a chance to hear your heart and to change the situation. Father Chris and I are deeply thankful to be here with you in Good Samaritan, and we are sure that we have said or done something at some point that has offended some of you. And please know that it is not our intention to offend anyone, but rather our heart's desire to walk with you. So come to us or come to someone else who has hurt you or offended you and give them the benefit of the doubt and trust that God can actually care for your heart in that situation. It's our desire, Chris and I are both kind of similar, we want people to like us and be okay with us. We don't like, we don't intentionally offend people. Um, it's our desire to have peace with you. Bitterness can eat up and it can destroy relationships and it can destroy churches. Speaking openly with one another allows grace to abound. Sometimes from within like an apparently happy church or a fellowship, discontentment can rise up. It can may take the form of a doctrinal or an ethical disagreement, which is good and right, and these could be very real. But often, 
They can provide a smoke screen for personal agendas. In the way that the Bible today tells us, the sign is always the sense of bitterness that accompanies it. Disagreement between wise and praying Christians can take place without bitterness. Where that troubling and that poisonous bitterness starts, it makes its presence felt in the room. And we should recognize what's going on so we don't keep it going. The writer of Hebrews used the example of Esau today to give us a concrete example of allowing bitterness to infect our relationships. His bitterness changed his life in such a way that he could not, that it could not be fixed, right? It couldn't be made right at all. There's no way to turn it around. He made such a mess of it, and he had a moment of madness that he changed his life. And his decisions left him with forever consequences. Our life is full of consequences. Sometimes they're good, right? And then sometimes they have lingering effects in our lives. Father Chris and I are deeply convicted to teach our children about consequences and giving them skills to make these decisions. If you come to our house, you're going to see um, a flow chart showing the way to making decisions that have good consequences. And what will happen if a kid chooses bad consequences? I wish, honestly, that I had this chart when I was younger and that I had this teaching when I was younger. It would have greatly, greatly changed and helped me weigh out some of the decisions that I made. Our choices always have consequences. And we should be really cautious about suggesting that someone who genuinely wants to repent of their sin and get right with God, that they will ever be refused. The scriptures today actually talk about this. They talk about sometimes we get refused. We might be. But we should be equally cautious about imagining that someone who enjoys Christian fellowship but then plays fast and loose with moral responsibilities that they'll be able to come back whenever they feel like it. I said this Sunday when I was reading the scripture passage, I'm like, oh man, this hammer Sunday, it's the hammer, it's hard. It's the lessons that are really, they're not pleasant. And that they're hard because they say hard things that they might, it might, things might not turn out kind of how we want it to. Decisions and actions have consequences, and God desires to give us redemption, and he desires to give us freedom. Yet we still have to live with consequences of our actions. The opening verses of this passage urge the readers to sort themselves out, to become the sort of people spoken of in one of the prophetic passages of Isaiah 35. In which it says, strengthen your weary hands and make firm your feeble knees. It's excellent. It's passage of Isaiah 35. God is doing a new thing in your midst. If you have a chance this week, read that whole passage of Isaiah 35 and see. You must stand up and we must get on with the job where we are. There's no room for spiritual laziness. 
And those who walk on the way of the cross are constantly called to live their lives engaged in the work of the Lord. So what is God calling you to study right now? Who is God calling you to serve right now? Is there a young woman or a young man who needs encouragement or help? Does the church need your gifts and your skills? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. God will always have meaningful work for you. Despite your life, despite your perceived limitations or your lack of time, don't allow your past or your present brokenness to keep you from growing with God and struggle towards him and you will be in good company. And if you find that you're kind of sailing through life and you have long periods of time um, where things are just super easy, then you're probably not seeking or pressing after God. I hate struggling. I hate floundering. I like things that kind of like run smooth and flawless. And when I was a small child, I used to time everything. I would make my bed once and time it, and then I'd make my bed again and time it. And I, I was really into timing everything and making it go faster and smoother and slicker, and I loved efficiency. And so the first few weeks of anything in my life, like starting new school, a new school year with my children, or beginning summer break after you've been in school, I feel like I am coming undone. Everyone's floundering. I'm floundering. They're floundering. Everyone is mourning the difference, and they're longing for things to be the same as they were. Even if they weren't even good, they're still longing for something else, just like I am. And they lean on me emotionally. And my response, I feel like, should be that, like that prophet Isaiah, yeah, you know, like in which I say, strengthen my weary hands and make firm my feeble knees. And however, I feel like a person sometimes who's running for their life and trying to duck behind objects, trying to avoid the need and the intensity. Or a person who's like swinging a sword trying to combat all complaints and disagreements about how things are going. But it's in those very moments of our lives when God can train us and he can change us for his good and his glory. It's in that struggle, in those real moments of needing God, that you can actually find him. Some days I come to church in real need of his presence. And I need to cling, and I come and I cling to the bread at Eucharist, asking him to make me new. I love being an Anglican. I love it because you and I have the opportunity every Sunday to walk up the aisle, come around this beautiful altar, and ask him, I need you. I need you. I need you to change me, to give me your presence, to make me new. Because the person I was last week is probably not the person I need to be. Right? I love that I'm not alone and that you're not alone, but that our life actually matters and that we can actually be shaped by Jesus in the choices that we make. 
We're supposed to follow after peace and holiness. And peace with all people is a great ideal, but this writer, kind of like Paul was in Romans 12, 8, he knows that it won't always happen, right? But you must pursue it and chase after it and do all in your power to accomplish it. In holiness, as Hebrews is saying, this is required if you want to stand in the presence of the holy God. Don't let anyone tell you anything different. You don't lose it all. You don't want to lose everything you have in a moment of madness and bad choice like Esau did. How he gave up his birthright and he changed his whole life in a way that couldn't be switched around. Seek after holiness. Look for godly books to shape you and your perspective of Jesus and ask him, what am I supposed to learn? We saw right at the very beginning of the Hebrews passage that um, Hebrews was making a strong contrast between the law and the gospel and between Moses and Jesus, but not that the law was a bad thing, um, now happily abolished, or that Moses was to be dismissed as an irreverent or bad teacher, but that the new covenant, which was being established in and through Jesus, is a better way. Jesus brings about the fulfillment of all the law, and he expresses it in the gospel. Our way is that way. Our way is the way of the gospel, a way of truth. It's a way of light and a way of good consequences. Following Jesus means being truth bearers, being people who point up to our rescuer. The fact that God is named as the judge of all is not meant to be a fearsome thing. And as the Psalms um, say time after time, the fact that God is the judge of all is something to be celebrated. And everybody, every one of us, all you have to do is read the news. Um, every one of us, deep down, wants the world to be put to right. There's a, um, a scholar called N.T. Wright, and N.T. Wright says, God's intention was to bring people to full humanity, that perfection or completeness for which sin needed to be dealt with, and our consciences purified right down to the bottom, into the whole life, brought into glad conformity with God's design. Our lives are broken, and they're in need of a grandmaster to fix them, to heal them from the ways of the world. And when we go to this master and allow him access into our hearts, he can heal us, show us a way forward, and give us peace. We are never done. He is never done with us. And there is always more inside of us that can be repaired and healed. The Hebrews passage speaks to how God sometimes does this in our lives. Sometimes our lives seem to be shaking like an earthquake. Sometimes the circumstances of our lives are just huge. I have a friend of mine in Pittsburgh, a young woman in her 40s, I think that's young, 
And she um, has four children, the youngest being six, and she's found out she has cancer. They haven't even figured out which kind it is yet. It's bone cancer. She's very, she has young kids. She has a lot, of, a lot to do in her life. And her world has become shaken. And our lives sometimes have circumstances in it that feel huge. And the heaven and the earth alike must be shaken in such a way that everything that's transient, everything that's temporary or secondary or second-rate may fall away. Then that which is of the new creation that's based on Jesus himself and on his resurrection will shine out of our lives more brightly. This new creation will, of course, include all those who belong in the new covenant and through them the new world which God has always promised. I think we often see God as this indulgent parent when in reality the true God is not tame, nor does he spoil his children. He's like a fire we hear today. The holiness of God that was emphasized in the Old Testament and the temple ritual is not undermined by the fact that in this new picture, this new covenant, his people are actually invited up into his presence in a new way. Only when we remind ourselves of God's holiness do we fully appreciate the significance of what Jesus achieved. When people have spoken of God without stressing his all-consuming holiness, the meaning of the cross is downgraded in proportion. Jesus' sacrifice was huge, and our access to God is incredible. Holiness with God is not something to be feared, but something to be longed for. So many things in our world truly are shakeable. Our health, our finances, our families, our hopes, our dreams. But the writer of Hebrews, he nails it when he says, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Our God cannot be shaken, and our faith in Jesus cannot be taken from us. And our longing for Jesus will only draw us more fully into the holiness of God. So may you be challenged today to seek out God in a new way. May you be challenged to struggle with God and to cling to the things that are unable to be changed. May you be nourished by Jesus in the Eucharist and give him what you need for whatever your journey is and whatever lays ahead for you. So to God be the glory now and forever. Amen. This has been a production of Good Samaritan Anglican Church in Middleburg, Florida. For more sermons, sermon notes, and information about our congregation, please visit www.goodsamaritananglican.org slash sermons. If this podcast has been helpful to you, please subscribe and leave us a review with your favorite podcast player. Thank you for listening. God bless you.